Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 191, and by my count, the 67th session on the Council of Elrond, session number 67, in which I am boldly predicting, as I've been predicting for weeks, we are going to complete our discussion of the Council of Elrond tonight. It is going to happen. Uh, we have one last incident uh, to discuss, and that is, of course, the moment when the real hero uh, comes from offstage and uh, uh, steps onto the, uh, the, into the arena of action here. Um, but um, that's, that is where we are. Hey, who knows? We might even get frisky and start discussing the Ringo South here tonight. I don't even know. Uh, but we will, um, we will see. This is, yeah, uh, Sarah on YouTube, I agree. This is a, this is a, um, this is a solemn moment, right? Um, so absolutely. Um, my announcement, of course, for the night is just to remind folks Mythmoot is coming up soon, so soon, in fact, that in scarcely more than 12 hours, I'll be on the road driving down to Virginia, uh, to Leesburg uh, to attend, uh, looking forward to uh, connecting with folks there. We've got a great group of people coming, um, uh, uh, coming in the body and many others who are attending digitally, uh, and it's going to be really cool. I'm uh, very excited to uh, have our our first, our first in-person moot since the pandemic started, and uh, our first ever really fully hybrid moot. Um, and I am, uh, uh, I am very excited for this to happen. Um, I've said before, the thing I have missed more than anything else uh, during the pandemic uh, is moots. Uh, getting a chance to uh, get together. Um, you know, Signum has, there are many ways, of course, in which Signum University's operations have been un changed uh, by the pandemic, uh, much more, of course, than many people. We are a completely online institution and all of our stuff happens online. But because all of our stuff happens online, um, that's meant that we've been able to continue operations as normal uh, even during the pandemic. But it also means uh, that like it's also why we started our moot program, not only myth moot, but our regional moot program, because it's a really great opportunity. It's really important to be able to uh, mix up our regular uh, online connections, which are so rich and so wonderful, with the opportunity uh, actually to see each other and spend time with each other, uh, uh, occasionally at the very least. And I've been missing it. I've been missing it badly. And I am so delighted. Uh, and as I promised, we will talk more uh, after Myth Moot. We will talk more about regional moots, uh, and I will give you more details about that as we move forward. But uh, I am uh, very excited uh, for Myth Moot uh, this year, uh, and it's going to be fun doing the hybrid thing. Um, you know, a lot of I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I have been experiencing either myself or like my kids doing things, um, 
recently, you know, in the last six months that have attempted to be hybrid, whether it be things like My Kid's School or whether it be, you know, other kind of uh, events and things. Uh, thus far, I have found most people's approach to hybrid has meant really kind of doing one thing or the other, like either... You know, you're just kind of doing a live event and the, the digital attendees are just kind of a fly on the wall and they're not really full participants. Or the whole thing is really oriented towards the digital participants and the people who are there are kind of like, I could have stayed home because it's just like we're all sitting here on our computers doing a digital thing. Um, so, you know, the challenge of really trying to uh, uh, to build a model where we can where we can really say, no, 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 we're we're wanting to include everybody. We're wanting this to be um, uh, a really engaging experience for everybody where where we really have it oriented towards towards all so that's going to be it's, it's a really fun challenge which i'm excited about uh and we're going to see we're going to be experimenting with a bunch of things we'll see how things go um but anyway there is still time to sign up it starts in two days right two days from now we'll be uh what, just finishing, uh, we'll just have finished pub trivia, but I think we'll still be in the pub uh, <laughs> two days from now. Um, so uh, uh, probably out by the fire pits maybe already. So uh, that'll be great. And uh, if you're attending with us on uh, on Mood Hub, we'll, we'll bring you with us outside and uh, and uh, get to uh, join in conversation with you guys uh, as well. So anyhow, that's uh, that's all starting up. So it starts up very soon but there's still time to register. You could still register even now. Um, and it's especially easy, of course, uh, for our digital participation. So um, that is, uh, and remember, we have two different levels of that. If you're able to kind of be around and, uh, you know, be involved in all of our live events and stuff, um, then you should sign up for Mood Hub because then you'll be involved in everything. And that's where, you know, we're really going to be, we're really focused on engaging folks. Our Mootcast is our sort of more, um, designed chiefly for like people who are either attending asynchronously who who don't want to miss the presentations and want to be able to see you know the 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 sort of the the main events of the conference but you know are probably going to be kind of just popping in and out won't really be able to be a part of the day-to-day hour-to-hour experience of the conference during the week for those people mootcast is best because when you sign up for mootcast you not only do get access to attend any session that you can make live um but also that is of our regular you know, scheduled academic sessions. But uh, but you also will get access to an archived recording of all the things. Now, we can't give access to the archived recording after the event's done, right? So once the event is over, that's it. Um, uh, and we're not, you know, not going to have... The archive won't be available after that. That's the rule for events. So, um, but... Anytime between now and the end of the event, you could still sign up for Mood Hub and get access to the archives. Uh, so just wanted to make sure people understood how that worked. Um, and, and the archive will be available to everybody who signs up at every level, both for the people who are there corporeally in Virginia, for the folks uh, who are signed up for Mood Hub, the, uh, the full all-access uh, synchronous uh, sign-up, and the uh, folks who sign up for Moodcast. So still time to do that. Just wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. Um, I, as always, I'm I'm enjoying uh, sort of cheering as I see you know uh, sign. I get email notifications when people sign up. I kind of insist on that because I love watching it. I love seeing the notifications and seeing the names coming across and uh, who's going to be able to show up. So many people I'm looking forward to seeing again. Uh, so many people I'm looking forward to meeting for the first time. Uh, so that's um, really exciting. Anyway. I could talk about how excited I am for Mythmoot for a long time, but let us 
get back to the text because uh, uh, Mr. S. Gamgee has been waiting for us uh, now for a full week. So we got to the very, we read the beginning of that first paragraph. Uh, but you won't send him off alone, surely, Master, cried Sam, unable to contain himself any longer and jumping up from the corner where he had been quietly sitting on the floor. No, indeed, said Elrond, turning towards him with a smile. You at least shall go with him. It is hardly possible to separate you from him, even when he is summoned to a secret council, and you are not. Sam sat down, blushing and muttering. A nice pickle we have landed ourselves in, Mr. Frodo, he said, shaking his head. Okay. Um, that, um, uh, we talked mostly about Sam's question, but you won't send him off alone, surely, Master, cried Sam, right? Which I was arguing suggests that Sam has been paying very careful attention, right? Um, uh, how serious are you, right, about this whole, we're going to rely neither on strength nor wisdom, right? Um, are, we, are we taking that to its logical extreme, which is just, let's have Frodo toddling off in the wilderness by himself, uh, since that is the, you know, uh, logically, uh, the, the, the least well-prepared we could send off this party? That's not the goal, is it, right? Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I see, uh, 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 I see Will Moss there on YouTube who said he just, he's, uh, just started and is on episode seven. Yep. Oh, you do have a little bit of catching up to do, but don't worry. You'll get, you'll catch up with this eventually. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. So, so as I say, Sam has been paying attention, um, I love the unable to contain himself any longer, right? Um, he has been... One question that this raises in my mind is, how long exactly has Frodo, or Sam, sorry, been working really hard to contain himself, right? Um, uh, at what other points in the chapter has Sam been tempted to interrupt uh, and has, in fact, successfully restrained himself, um, but now he can't contain himself any longer. I mean, surely Frodo's volunteering, right, was obviously a big moment. Exactly. Aranas, I agree. Since uh, since Frodo's volunteering, at least, clearly. Um, Drowsnake thinks uh, after some of Boromir's outbursts, possibly, possibly, though um, he, um, Boromir hasn't made any cutting remarks directed at uh, directed at, at Frodo. So, you know, um, he's, you know, not had to go over to Boromir and given him the see here captain treatment, uh, that he is eventually going to give to Faramir. Right. Uh, because, you know, Boromir has not said anything to diss Frodo or Mr. Bilbo for that matter. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, Hythalos, I agree that, I doubt in the first, in the early part, he was at all tempted uh, to speak up. Um, as enraptured with stories as he is, I agree with you. Um, I, I, Sam has to have been the most delighted person in the room, right? Listening to Elrond's stories of, of the, you know, the War of the Last Alliance and stuff. I mean, oh my goodness, that's like... Uh, just think. I mean, that, that's like a that's like a bucket list thing, right? I, and for Sam, I'm sitting in in Rivendell, listening to Elrond himself tell the story of the Last Alliance. I mean, man, 
Um, and JJ, you're right. Boromir has not offered him sauce. Uh, that's, that's correct. That's correct. So no reason to rebuke anybody. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And I agree. There's a chance that he could have felt protective about Aragorn. Um, but, um, uh, but I, I, I do, um, I do doubt that he would have felt quite so protective to Urimbar as, uh, as that, you know, that to actually to feel the need to, um, uh, to speak up, uh, for him. So, yeah, I think probably not. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, Okay. Yeah, so let's see. Was Sam in the Hall of Fire in the last chapter? Oh, yeah, he was there, sleeping, you know, like he does. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not actually uh, asleep. Um, and Admiral Malcontent, I agree that Sam uh, would um, definitely be down for 19 months of Council of Elrond deliberations. Yeah, no question. Uh, he's, um, I think, not needing to... Um, uh, not needing to... Um, I think he's less worried about lunch uh, than uh, than Bilbo is uh, in that way. Um, yeah, Silk Westgate, you're right. Sam's like the star pupil watching his favorite teacher taking a master class from actual masters. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, this is a huge deal. Um, it's a, a huge deal uh, for Sam to be sort of in on this. So I would expect Sam would have been in awe for most of the time, right? Not only delighted awe, as we're suggesting, but I mean, he's got to be aware that this is a really big deal. Also, he's sitting in a floor in the corner, right? Like behind a potted plant or something, right? So um, he's been quietly sitting on the floor. Now, one question is exactly how transgressive does Sam believe that he is being? Right. I mean, on the one hand, you know, he wasn't invited. On the other hand, it's also kind of like he's Frodo's servant. Right. So that he should be standing by, you know, like nobody ever pays attention to the footman standing against the wall. Right. I mean, like that doesn't count as somebody being in the room even exactly. Right. So, I mean, there's 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 a certain amount of. Um, uh, a certain element of that, right? Like that, you know, Frodo was invited. So, uh, you know, Sam obviously is going to, you know, like attend. Um, and Evil Dr. Cannon, I completely agree that I also would be very surprised if no one knew he was there. And I suspect that Elrond's response, um, his immediate response, no, indeed, you at least shall go with him, um, is... I think this shows Elrond at least was well aware that Sam was there. I do not, you know, the, the, uh, you know, st comically disapproving face that Hugo Weaving pulls in the film version, right? Uh, when the hobbits start jumping out of the bushes uh, in the movie, um, that is not Elrond here when he turns to Sam. I think that is clearly not uh, how Elrond um, responds. Um, and I agree, Admiral Malcontent. I think that you're right. I think that Elrond's response is hobbitry. I, I, I agree. We, we saw him do it, right? We saw Elrond do it. Hobbitry, I mean, with Bilbo. We saw him banter with Bilbo in the Hall of Fire. It was a little stiff, 
right? It wasn't like the, he's not as good at it as Gandalf, mostly because he's too polite, I think. Elrond is kind as, is, is as kind as summer or as kind as Christmas, depending on which draft you're reading. Uh, and so, you know, he's not as naturally abusive as Gandalf is. And so therefore is less good at hobbitry, right? He's not, he's not quite, he's less socially awkward than Aragorn, <laughs> evil Dr. Cannon. Exactly. Um, he's, uh, he's better at it than Elrond. Um, but I mean, in, in the spectrum, right? With, with Aragorn being on the, the most clumsy end, though I guess still better than people who don't attempt it at all. Um, right? I mean, I guess you'd have to put like Denethor on the far side, right? Uh, and then, El- and then, and then Aragorn and then Elrond and then Gandalf on the, the completely at home, you know, in, uh, in, in, in Hobbitry side. Um, and Michael D, you're right. He's only known just the one Hobbit, right? So he's only had so much practice. I mean, uh, you know, Bilbo's lived there for a while, but not in, not in elf terms. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so it's, it's, it's all perfectly, perfectly true. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. So we'll get more to Elrond's response, but I, I totally agree with you about the hobbitry. Um, I also, I believe that I agree with those of you who are saying that Sam's attendance, um, as Aronoff says, is acceptable, but his speaking up is uh, potentially transgressive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, if he is, if his, uh, if his presence is being sort of quasi-officially sort of tolerated or acknowledged, right? Like, it's okay, Sam will let you sit, you know, uh, in the corner, right? Uh, as long as you're quiet. Like, if he's, you know, here as Mr. Frodo's servant, um, surely him jumping up out of the corner and speaking up um, no good servant would do that, right? I mean, that is, you don't do that, right? I mean, like the footman standing against the wall does not speak up uh, during, you know, the family dinner. Like, that doesn't happen. Um, and um, uh, so it's clearly, it's, and, and, and that's obvious even from what we see in his response, right? Like, he's been trying to contain himself. He knows it's not his place. Right. To speak up here. He doesn't have a seat at this table. He was not invited to have a seat at this table. Um, Again, I don't think that he believes himself to be stealthily creeping in, nor do I think that he's sitting quietly on the floor in the corner because he's, you know, hoping no one notices him and kicks him out. Right. And that they would kick him out if they had noticed him, that it's like a security breach for Sam to be there. I don't think that that's the situation. Um, But he's not a member of the council. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but his speaking up, his speaking up shows that he is, his care for Mr. Frodo just like overwhelms him, right? He can, he's unable to contain himself any longer. And again, notice he doesn't just speak up. Like he, do, he doesn't just, this is not him merely like something, um, you know, again, using his own words, right? It just burst out of me. I was that upset, right? Um, as he says back in uh, the other chapter two, right? Uh, when he gets caught under the window, um, uh, but, you know, and, and infenestrated by Gandalf. That was a long time ago. Remember the infenestration? Um, anyway, um, remember that's how he described it then. Uh, that he just, he couldn't, 
he couldn't, uh, he just couldn't restrain himself and it just burst out. That's not what happens here, right? He doesn't just burst out into speech. He jumps up from where he had been sitting on the floor, right? This is him coming to his feet. He's, is it an impulsive decision? Yes. Is it, uh, you know, an emotionally driven decision? Sure. Um, but this is not him just like squeaking or gasping or making a noise because he's so upset, right? Um, but you won't send him off alone, surely, Master. Elrond acknowledges not just what he says, but what he means, right? Elrond knows exactly what Sam is saying. And what Sam is saying is, obviously, surely, I'm going to come too. I'm going to come too, right? I'm going to... Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're, I'm gonna be allowed to come with Mr. Frodo. Um, yeah. Oh, Bricktails, great question. Uh, do I think Frodo wrote the part about Sam not being able to contain himself any longer, or did Sam insert that part? Uh, Bricktails, as a rule, I think that um, almost every description of Sam's actions are probably written by Frodo. Can you see Sam? like writing more of himself into the story, I can't, right? But nor do I see him cutting out anything that Mr. Frodo wrote about himself, about, about Sam, right? Um, even though Sam might be, um, but might feel shy about, um, you know, any, you know, like the role or dialogue or whatever that, uh, uh, that fr- remember, uh, remember ahead uh, on the stairs of Kirith Ungol when Frodo is going to say, that the imagined audience, how his imagining that the audience of their story is going to say, I wish you would put in more of Sam's talk. Um, and Sam assumes that Mr. Frodo is teasing him, right? Like he can't be serious about that. Um, so, um, yeah, good. Drow Snake, I agree. Sam edited his own name out of the Silmarillion. He definitely wouldn't have added this if it weren't in Frodo's drafts. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Drow Snake, you're completely right. Um, if if there's anything where the um, editorial hand of Sam Gamgee is most obvious, it's that moment in the Silmarillion, right? Alone with his servant. Yeah, that's totally, that's Sam Gamgee all over, isn't it? I totally, totally agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah, for Thoughtless, I, I is asking about the quite complimentary parts about his inner monologue when Sam carries the ring. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think, you know, like Frodo's gotten that story out of him. Um, and uh, I think that or Frodo's gotten that story out of Sam and Frodo wrote that. I, I, I feel, you know, again, I, I think there's almost no question about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're starting exploring the Silmarillion early. I know, I know it's true, but anyway, it's relevant to the question, our, 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 our narrator's question. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I definitely think that this is, uh, that this is Frodo, um, and his comment, the commentary, they're unable to contain himself any longer. Right. Um, and notice how even that, like the way that that is contextualizing, is in order to, there's almost like an implicit um, excuse, right? Um, excuse for Sam's behavior, right? That like Sam's, Sam's not being rude. Sam's not just being cheeky. He's not offering sauce to Master Elrond, 
right, uh, here. He is just unable to contain himself any longer. It is being contextualized for us as the, you know, spontaneous burst of, you know, loyalty and compassion that it is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, jumping up from the corner where he had been sitting, quietly sitting on the floor. Um, to Elrond's comment. No, indeed, said Elrond, turning towards him with a smile. You at least shall go with him. It is hardly possible to separate you from him, even when he is summoned to a secret council, and you are not. And you're absolutely right. Um, that is clearly hobbitry. He's teasing him, right? He is teasing him. He is. Not, this is not a rebuke uh, you know, this is not uh, a, th- a threat or a rebuke to someone who has, you know, sneaked into the room and, and uh, uh, you know, broken the rules, right, and is getting in trouble. Um, he's teasing him, right? He's teasing him um, and using, he's using this as like an excuse, right? It is hardly possible to separate you, but how could I possibly not send you along with him since you were obviously willing to sneak into secret councils, right, in order to follow him? Um, this is uh, this is adorable. I, I, Elrond's hobbitry is adorable when it happens, right? It happens with Bilbo in the Hall of Fire, and it happens with Sam here. Um, and that's what I mean, and that's wonderful. And if you if you're thinking. If you don't like the idea of Sam being treated like a servant, the way that I was describing, permitted to sit on the floor in the corner because he's Frodo's servant, um, there are a couple things that I would say here. First of all, look, we, especially, I would say, we Americans tend to have a problem with this, right? Um, I do not believe that Tolkien would have had a problem with this, uh, and I certainly don't think that Sam has a problem with this. Um I mean, Sam considers himself Frodo's servant and does not think it an insult to be considered Frodo's servant. And this is just something that we kind of need to get over, I think, in large part. Like, that is Sam's position. That's how he... That's his... Like, that's how Sam identifies, right? He identifies as Frodo's servant. Um, but secondly... As I said, I don't think um, I don't think that Elrond's. I agree that I don't think people have been unaware of him. I think he's been noticed, and I think the fact that he has been allowed uh, to be here. Remember, I, it's my premise. I believe that Gandalf, for sure. I think we saw clear evidence of that in the previous chapter. And Elrond, almost certainly, as evidenced in a couple things that he has, you know, ways in which he has, you know, dropped those comments about hobbits and things. um, I think that he's been anticipating this outcome. I, I believe that both Gandalf and Elrond walked into this room thinking, planning, hoping that things were going to turn out this way. Um, that Frodo was going to volunteer. Um, and I am pretty sure that Gandalf has intended all along that Sam should go along with him. Um, I think that that's clear. I think that that's very clear. Even from, and you know, if Elrond, Elrond wouldn't even any longer have needed Gandalf's own assurance about Sam 
and Sam's character, because Elrond will have seen Sam's tender and devoted care for Frodo while Frodo was lying asleep, right, and ill on his bed, as Elrond has been attending him continuously. So Elrond would have been spending a substantial amount of time in the same room with Sam and observing Sam over the course of the last couple of weeks. Well, last couple of weeks, anyway, for a while, right? Um, for a few days, in any case. So he's he's seen him, right? He has observed him. And I think that Frodo is going to go and that Sam is going to accompany him, I think is the, the one thing that's most certain about, uh, about the trip. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> JJ thinks that Gandalf told Elrond that Sam would speak up when they got to this point, and Elrond smiles because he actually gets to use the line that he had prepared beforehand. Maybe, maybe. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, you are absolutely uh, right, Trifle, that, um, you know, Sam's, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, we know how instrumental Sam is going to be in the completion of the, of the, of the test. And can I say also one other thing? We've been joking about comparing hand sizes, right? As, uh, you know, Elrond has just said the, the, the number one credential is humility. The number one credential is like, who has the smallest hands, um, um, small hands do them because they must these great deeds. Um, and so Bilbo steps forward and says, I think I've got the smallest hands in the room. And, and Gandalf says, no, you're just, that might be, but you're disqualified. Right. And then Frodo volunteers as the smallest remaining set of hands in the room, except he's not. Sam's hands are smaller. Right. Um, who is more humble? The humble hobbit? who steps forward unwillingly, um, bravely, but without pride, without presumption, uh, to take upon himself this burden, though he does not know the way. Who's more humble, him or his servant, <laughs> right? Who's sitting in the corner right now. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, um, I think that for this reason, um, Elrond and Gandalf have both been looking at the two, have been considering the two of them a package deal, right? Um, um, there is a sense, um, uh, there is a sense in which, I don't know, I, I'm not trying to argue necessarily that Elrond and Gandalf are actively thinking in precisely these terms, but Sam's, it's almost like Again, in the context in which this happens, right? Frodo has just volunteered. They've just worked up to Bilbo correctly identifying that the only job that this council has, right, its only real responsibility is naming the bearer of the ring, right? Who is going to take the ring? Elrond's already said, it's got to go to Mordor and be cast into the fire. Okay, so the only question is, and we've talked about it, we talk about that, right? So the only thing, the only question is who's going to take it? And what happens when they implicitly call for volunteers, right? Frodo volunteers and Sam immediately volunteers after him. Not even to take the ring. He volunteers even more humbly, 
right? Um, implicitly stating that he means and hopes to just be allowed to come along to help and support Mr. Frodo, right? Again, if there's if there is a perfect ring bearer in the room, <laughs> it's Sam, right? And so I wonder uh, if there is a sense in which Elrond and Gandalf see Sam for what uh, what he in fact ends up becoming, which is the auxiliary backup ring bearer. What happens if Frodo doesn't make it? If what what happens if something happens to Frodo? What happens if Frodo falls, as could happen, right? There needs to be somebody else in the party who could take up the ring, right? Somebody else who could be the ring bearer. So it's not a great plan to just say, let's send Frodo. Frodo's a great candidate. He's the perfect candidate. We'll send Frodo with the ring. And who are we going to send with him? Aragorn and Gandalf and Boromir and you know, Legolas and Gimli, you know, not people who are good candidates, people who would be ruled right out of court, not even considered for the post of ring bearer here in the council, right? Had any of them volunteered? Well, Elrond pretty clearly instructed none of them to volunteer, right? He made it clear that their hands are too big, right? Their hands are completely too big. Um, So what happened? What if something happens to Frodo, right? What if Frodo were, I don't know, skewered by an orc spear in Moria, for instance, right? What if it were, in fact, a brave but dead hobbit that Aragorn is holding um, as they're fleeing from the chamber of Mazarbal? What do they do with the ring then? What happens? Who becomes the ring bearer? And my answer is Sam. I think clearly, Sam. Um, uh, do you carry his corpse? No, 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 you don't. Um, uh, I don't know. This is funny. It actually reminds me of the funniest question I was asked on Twitter in the wake of the release of my second Wired video, being getting a whole bunch of you know this wave of questions, uh, mostly about Tom Bombadil. But um, the um, the funniest question I got was. Uh, since Sam, when he's carrying Frodo on his back, can't does not feel the pull of the ring, doesn't that mean that Frodo could have taken the ring and like strapped it onto a rodent and carried the rodent in his pocket, and then he wouldn't have he would have been immune to the pull of the ring? Um, and my answer was no. Uh, it, it, what matters is is somebody claiming it, right? So uh, if you're carrying it on a you know on a hamster in your pocket. It's still in your, the ring is still in your possession, just much less securely so than if it were actually on a chain around your neck, right? Chain around your neck, hamster in your pocket, you know, it's all pretty much the same as far as it's still, you're still laying claim to the ring. It's still in your possession, right? It just can walk away, which is probably suboptimal, right? Unless the hamster claims it for his own, which you can't absolutely rule out. Um, uh, I kind of doubt it, but uh, though Tarlonio, I do agree that hamsters have very small hands, um, but uh, I think probably even too small, perhaps, even for this. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say, though I've known some ambitious hamsters, I don't think um, that there are many hamsters who would actually... um, uh, claim the ring for their own and attempt to overthrow the Dark Lord themselves. Um, but um, 
anyway, uh, that's, um, I, yeah. So that, that, that was a fun question. Um, but I, I assume that Frodo's corpse would operate the same way, right? If, uh, uh, if, if Frodo's increasingly malodorous corpse were, were, were to be carried towards Mordor by the grieving but determined company uh, still attempting to uh, uh, bear the ring to Mordor, I get, like, it would, the ring would be in the, like, you don't want Boromir having a turn carrying the body is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, but, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh man, JJ says, I think we found our reenactment. Uh, maybe not. Um, but, um, anyway, anyway, so, um, uh, I think that, um, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, I doubt the ring would have resized itself to fit a hamster finger uh, at Heir of Numenor. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, but um, Bruinier, I, I do agree. Yeah, and Michael D., I, you're right. Don't strap it onto a cat because who knows what's going to happen at that point. Um, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, would, that cat would definitely have power too great and terrible uh, at that point. Um, a dog would be much safer, O'Malley, no question. Um, but anyway, the uh, point is, <laughs> no, <laughs> that wouldn't work. Somebody would still have to be the ring bearer, even if you were bearing it indirectly at that point. Um, Sam is only protected. Frodo is basically a buffer for Sam at that point, because Sam is not attempting to claim the ring. He's not bearing the ring. He's bearing Frodo, and Frodo is bearing the ring. But if Frodo, if someone else were not bearing it, then it would be on Sam at that point. Um, but, um, yeah. And Brandon, I think you're absolutely right that if you're attempting any shenanigans to circumvent ring rules, that might make you more susceptible to the ring than if you were just holding it in your pocket. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> back to the point. The point is, um, Sam, I, I, I think that there are several reasons why they, uh, why Elrond, with presumably Gandalf's agreement in advance, um, is so quick to um, nominate Sam, right? Also, keep in mind, remember Gildor and the elves, right? Um, the elves could perceive, I think, um, that is the elves in the woody end, Sam's first elf encounter, Right when they told him, "Don't you leave him?" Um, I think that the elves that they met in the Shire, who remember were Noldor after all, right? So these were um, these were elves with significant tra la 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 standing. Um, they seemed to perceive that Sam had a calling upon him, right? That there was, you know, uh, that that a high destiny lay before Sam Gamgee. Um, he, he's already been made by the elves to promise, right? That which he was ready to promise, that which he had already for himself promised, right? And had every intention of doing. But the elves, um, the elves made him promise, right? They, I, they, I think they could see Sam's destiny or at least have some sense of Sam's calling. Um, and I think that Elrond can see it too, or even can see their seeing 
right? Just as, uh, um, you know, Goldberry can immediately tell that Frodo is an elf friend, has been named an elf friend by Gildor, I bet you that Elrond can see in Sam, saw when uh, he first met him. Um, either the same thing that was perceived and foreseen uh, by Gildor and his friends, or um, has seen their seeing, right? Has, you know, the, seen the charge that they have laid on him. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, I am, um, I do think that they, um, they know that Sam's an important part of this, but not just, I think, not just for the support of Frodo. Yes, for that. Um, but not only for that. He is their next best hope. Clearly, their next best hope. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Matt says, I suspect the co that collection of elves wanted for Frodo to go to bed, and as he left, took Sam aside, knowing that he had been awake the entire time. Yeah, I bet you the elves were less fooled than Frodo by Sam's on pretending to be a sleep act. I bet you're right about that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yep. So, um, so yes, this I do not believe. I, I believe there is no spontaneity in Elrond's response here, really. Um, wait, do I think that that means that he, he totally did pre-plan his, you know, does, does Elrond sit up at night uh, making up uh, uh, hobbitry cracks uh, to, to make if the occasion should warrant it because it doesn't come naturally to him? I don't know about that. Um, but, um, but did he have a plan? Was it in his plan all along? Uh, for Sam to go, yeah, I, I I I feel sure about that. He is prepared. There's no deliberation here. There's no uh, there's no he is not surprised. He is not disapproving. Um, he immediately he turns to him with a smile. Right. The only thing that Sam's outburst from the corner has accomplished is that um, this should be written into the minutes of the council itself rather than just coming up later when it's time to appoint his companions. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, Sam gets appointed a little earlier than he might have been appointed before. Um, <laughs> but that's, um, uh, I think, um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, and... Evil Dr. Cannon, that's a really good point. Um, he didn't lay the quest on Frodo, but he seems to have laid it on Sam. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, uh, in the sense that Sam didn't say anything officially about volunteering, right? But no, I don't think. Has Sam chosen? Sam chose. Um, is Sam going into this willingly? Absolutely. Um, Sam didn't have to say the words. Um, Sam didn't need to speak with a voice that he doesn't even recognize as his own or anything like that, right? That didn't, Sam didn't need that process, right? Um, Elrond, um, I don't think that Elrond had to have an extremely deep, I don't think he needed his keenest glance, right, in order to see Sam's heart here uh, and understand what Sam was doing. Um, this is obviously what Sam meant, right? Sam is, he's not just volunteering, 
right? Um, he is going beyond volunteering, <laughs> right? He is saying, um, you're not going to try to prevent me going, are you? Right? Um, uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Admiral Malcontent says, I imagine Gildor sending word to Elrond. There's this elf friend heading your way, and he's all right, but his servant, now he's awesome. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I could believe it. I could believe it. Um, but Drowsnick, and that's a really good point, too. Sam has already promised, right? He's already... I mean, is he oath-bound? Like, actually oath-bound? I don't know. But again, like, he's in. Right. He's in. I mean, it, it would it would take a significant act, I think, um, for them to exclude Sam. I mean, I think Elrond would have a lot of explaining to do to Gildor and his friends when they get back to Rivendell uh, right, to explain uh, why did not you why, why didn't you let Sam go? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, Nathan. I will take the ring bearer, though he doesn't know the way. Um, that's the paraphrase. C- clearly. Clearly. And uh, Elrond can see that. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, and I agree, Boansman, it doesn't matter whether he's sworn an oath or not. I mean, he is he is bound to Frodo as strongly as if he had sworn an oath, right? Um, he's... Um, yeah, yeah. And again, Elrond, I think he, he knows that. And I think that he is making it... It, it, it doesn't need to be said, because it's already been said. The promise has already been made. Um, Elrond knows that, and Elrond accepts that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And I agree. I agree, Matt, that uh, um, Sam's statement is the equivalent of reminding Elrond that he's the player to be named later in this trade. Um, it's a package deal. Yeah, yeah, definitely a package deal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, this is um, this is just such a perfect Sam moment, right? But now to the end of the. Sam moment, right? Um, Sam sat down, blushing and muttering. A nice pickle we have landed ourselves in, Mr. Frodo, he said, shaking his head. Um, now, why, why does he say that? He's blushing because I, Sam is not prepared for hobbitry from Elrond, right? Um, Bilbo has the cheek to banter with Elrond in the house of in the house of Elrond, right? He can banter with Elrond in the Hall of Fire. Sam does not have the cheek to banter with Elrond, right? Um, and yeah, Turambar, I agree. Elrond just talked to him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So his sitting down and blushing, you know, does he feel like? Does he feel reproved? You know, does he does he feel burned? But no, I don't think so, right? Um, the question is, my question is, um, why does he mutter what he mutters, right? Um, yeah, I think he, he, he does not feel... Notice he doesn't respond to Elrond. He doesn't say anything to Elrond. He says something, but it's addressed to Frodo, right? He, like, speaks in an aside to Frodo, which is, like his place as a servant, right? He's Frodo's servant. And he is kind of talking to himself, but it is addressed uh, to Frodo officially, right? 
Um, now, uh, Evil Doctor Cannon, I, I can't imagine it's the very first time that Elrond has addressed Sam directly. He must have said something to him, I'm sure, in Frodo's room, you know, sometime during Frodo's illness. However, I bet you Sam blushed every single time, right? I mean... Like, holy cow, again, this is Sam. Sam's met a rock star, right? I mean, this is Elrond Half-Elven, for crying out loud. Sam has been listening to stories about this guy, literally stories, you know, about Elrond because he's been listening to old Mr. Bilbo's stories. We know Bilbo has frequently told the story of his own adventure, right? So even on that level, um, and how Bilbo will have built up Rivendell and Elrond, even if Sam knew nothing else, but he clearly did no other things, like that Elrond was the herald of Gilgalad in the Battle of the Last Alliance, as obviously would have been brought to, you know, the, the kind of reality check of realizing that you're in the same room with someone who was there at the Battle of the Last Alliance, you know, stunned Frodo so much that he had his embarrassing little outburst earlier on, right? Um, so, Sam, yeah, I mean... So that he blushes when Elrond speaks to him is not at all um, a surprise. Um, uh, though I do agree, Catriona, that Elrond saying a kind word or two to Sam in private in Frodo's room would certainly be different from Elrond speaking publicly to him in the council like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, um, but why does he... Um, why does he say what he says. A nice pickle we have landed ourselves in, Mr. Frodo. The we, of course, is important, right? They have landed themselves in this. Um, Mr. Frodo hasn't landed them in it, right? Like, oh, you just had to go and volunteer, and now we're going to Mordor, right? It's not a grumble. Like, that would be a grumble. If he said you, it would be a grumble, right? Um, um, but I, I, it's not a grumble, I don't. I, I. I don't think it's a grumble. Um, but um, it's an acknowledgement. Again, if as if any were needed, a confirmation that he has also volunteered. Right? They both landed themselves in this. Right. It's almost like what Bilbo says to himself in The Hobbit. Right. About going and putting his foot in it that night at Bag End. Right. Um, uh, I agree that he's loyal enough, Kokovut and Minor, that it's not an expression um, of resentment or frustration. Um, it's surprise he thought he was going home. Well, I'm not sure he did. I'm not sure he did. Movie Sam is already packed up and ready to go home, assuming that they're headed home real soon, right? I don't think Book Sam is. I don't think Book Sam is. I think that Book Sam always knew or always suspected, right? Um, it's possible that Book Sam thinks when the elves tell him, you know, about never leaving Frodo's side, no matter what, um, that it's just about getting to Rivendell, right? Um, uh, Frodo himself <clears throat> certainly seems to believe that he is done or almost done, right? 
um, I don't think, I don't think that Sam, um, I don't think that Sam assumes that it's over. Um, least of all, after listening to the council. On the one hand, he's going to be very protective of Frodo, right? He's worried Frodo might, that they might get so crazy with this whole small hands slash the, you know, not the strong or the wise plan that they're going to send him off alone. Um, But you've got to think that if there's one person in the room, when Frodo volunteers, if there's one person in the room who is thinking, well, obviously, best qualified person in the room, it's Sam, right? Sam believes, has to believe. Is he going to be worried about Frodo? Absolutely, right? Um, Does he think that Frodo is the obvious best choice? Bet you he does, right? Bet you he does. Um, Now, we, we will see later that Sam doesn't fully get the whole ring of power thing. Right. Um, uh, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, he he will we'll see some evidence of that later on that he doesn't fully intuitively grasp yet what possessing the one ring means exactly. Um, but nevertheless, I think that he is. I don't think he's surprised. I think he's like one of the least surprised people in the room. I bet you that most of the elves, all of the dwarves, well, maybe not the dwarves, actually. Um, but I bet you that most people in the room are to, are at least a little bit more surprised. Boromir probably most of all. Um, unless he's remembering that halfling line uh, from his poem. But um, I think that Sam is, again, the least surprised. Now, Gandalf knew it was coming too, but does Gandalf have more conviction that Frodo would be the best person for this job than Sam? I doubt it, right? Um, So, yeah, yeah. Um, So, right, JJ's asking, with what kind of voice is Sam saying this? Despairingly? Maybe just as an understatement of fact? Hmm. Um. Oh, wow. Belongsman, your copy of the text leaves out that paragraph? Belongsman, is that the 50th anniversary edition that you have there? Is that what that is? Wild. Wild. Um, yeah. Um, huh. Um, interesting. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, trifle. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with. You. I think I agree with Fourth Dauntless also. Fourth Dauntless says it feels like a soldier's. Um, uh, resigned quip at the edge of battle. Yes, I think so. Um, and Trifle, I think I agree with you. 
um, an embarrassed Sam needing something to say and not knowing exactly what. Yes, he's blushing. He's embarrassed. He can't just sit down and say nothing at all, right? Um, so he mutters something, right? What is the overall tendency, right? Oh, Erev Numenor, I think you're exactly right um, that um, Sam is feeling keenly that he and Frodo are mixed up in the business of their betters. Yes, Tarlonio and Silk Westcott are thinking that uh, Sam is hearing his gaffer's voice in his head. Um, I bet you you're both right. I bet you that if Sam weren't so embarrassed and were in a more comfortable social setting at this moment, he might say something along the lines, uh, he might explicitly um, cite his father's paternal word hoard uh, at this point, right? Um, And say, I can imagine what my gaffer would say to me right now, right? A nice pickle you've landed yourself in, Sam, right? Um, uh, Yes, it's exactly, it does, does, I hadn't thought of that. But you guys are exactly right. That is exactly like something his old gaffer would say, isn't it? Um, A nice pickle you've landed yourself in? Yeah. If the gaffer were standing there, that's just what he would say. Apart from making some acerbic crack about this is what Sam gets for, um, uh, you know, um, getting mixed up in the affairs of his betters, which... If ever a Gamgee has gotten himself mixed up in the affairs of his betters, Sam jumping up and contributing to the Council of Elrond, right? And, uh, uh, you know, speaking up like that directly to Master Elrond himself, uh, he's um, he certainly has gone and put his foot in it, hasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, No, Hathalos, I think he's been paying close attention throughout. The, I don't think he's caught by surprise at all. Um, I think that we have another example of this, right? Um, later on, right? When um, Sam says, plain as a pike staff it is, but it's no good Sam Gamgee putting his spoke in just now, right? Remember, remember ahead to that, right? Um I think that Sam Gamgee has been thinking that it's that this whole affair has been playing as a pike staff for a long time, right? Um, I again, I think he's one of the least surprised people in the room when Frodo volunteers. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly, Erev Numenor. These are elves, sir, and Sam would be listening closely. No question. Also, why he was not sleeping uh, uh, in the woody end, and I am not 100% sure that he was sleeping in the Hall of Fire either. Um, But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, As for the metaphors, some of you are asking about, is it a a modern expression, you know, too modern, or unusually modern expression? I don't think so. Uh, People have been pickling things for a really long time. The word pickle uh, is, has some pretty old uh, Germanic roots. Um, I think Germanic roots. Um, So, yeah, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't strike me as an odd thing to say, but it is a very homely thing to say, right? It's a very gafferish thing to say almost like a piece of self-rebuke. And here is the, um, um, and here is the main thing that I would come back to as far as like the tone or the overall effect of this statement, 
um, as if to confirm Elrond's choice. I think, um, I think that Sam's, the ultimate sort of thrust of Sam's comment is ultimately humble. This is a, this is a gesture of humility, not self-conscious, like, aren't I humble kind of thing, but, um, there are lots of responses. He could grumble, right? If he were just there for comic relief, like the servant figures in many uh, British novels of those eras, right? Uh, he might have done, right? Um, but uh, but no, no. He um, uh, he's not just making comic relief. He is not uh, he is not grumbling. Uh, comically or no, um, Mr. Frodo has just done an enormously significant thing, just been placed in the Elfriend Hall of Fame by Elrond himself, right, in the speech that Elrond just made, and Sam has just burst out, stepped forward, demonstrating his loyalty uh, and his willingness to sacrifice himself literally right alongside Mr. Frodo, no matter what. And Elrond has recognized that, right? No debate. No, let's talk about this. No, are you sure you know what you're doing? But Elrond has accepted it like it was a given, right? Um, And Sam's response is to make light, not to grumble, not to complain, but to like, to make light of what he and Frodo just did in a sense. I make light of it isn't quite the right way to say it. Um, uh, if you, um, uh, if you, but do you, do you see what I mean though? Um, the two of them have just done something heroic, right? Something that gets them put into the same sentence with Baron and Hurin and the rest of them, right? And Turin, but we talked about that. Um, and he he characterizes their act of heroism as landing themselves in a nice pickle, right? Um, it's self-deprecating, um, downplaying. Yeah, he 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 downplays it, right? He downplays it, and he downplays it. In I completely agree, Selk Westgate and Tarlonio. I am completely taken with your suggestion. You're absolutely right. He downplays it in the gaffer's voice, right? With, you know, he downplays it out of the gaffer's word hoard, right? This is just what the gaffer would say to him at this moment. And so he's saying it to himself, right? But also kind of including Mr. Frodo. Um, And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, He doesn't know... I I, I do agree, Trifle, that... um, um, just as Mary says later in the Halls of uh, Healing, hobbits fear to say too much and so speak too lightly at times. Um, he, he, Sam does not have words for this occasion, right? Um, he has no fitting words with which to respond to... I mean, Elrond Half-Elven just anointed him, right? The companion of the ring-bearer. They're going to go try and save the world, Right? Um, what do you say? Right? Uh, thank you, I shall do my best, Mr. Elrond, sir. Like, Sam doesn't have the face for that. Sam doesn't know how... So, what does he do? He makes a crack. 
Uh, and not only that, not, not, again, this also, by the way, I think is a, a really interesting piece of context for Elrond's um, hobbitry, right? Elrond, I think, knows. Not only knows hobbits well enough, but I suspect even has come to shrewd enough conclusions about um, uh, about Sam himself and Sam's character that he knows he's going to make... Sh- if, if, if Elrond... Elrond knows that if he were to make a speech to Sam like he just made for Frodo, if he had said to Sam, like, and we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame too, right? And you're going to be up like with these other elf friends and everything. Sam would have shriveled up and died of embarrassment, right? Sam would have been, this is a kindness, right? This is a kindness. So instead, instead of making a big speech and putting him on the spot, and uh, instead he, he makes slight of it himself, right? Uh, he teases him. Um, he, he, he pulls out some hobbitry. Um, uh, and softens the praise, right, and the honor of the appointment with um, uh, teasing and kind of sort of taking that down. And Sam follows along with that, right? Um, Elrond's teasing suggests that Sam is in trouble, right, or should be in trouble because he was... Uh, he. Uh, showed up to the secret council that he hadn't been invited to. And Sam follows up with that, being like, see, we're both in trouble now, Mr. Frodo. Right. Um, uh, And I think that that's... um, I I think that Sam's own comment here is almost facilitated by Elrond's hobbitry there, um, which, again, is very very kind. Right. yeah, yeah. And um Yeah, you're right, Druid's Fire, that Sam's love of Frodo outweighed his awe for the high company he was lurking around. Yep, that is and that's what I think was seen there. Um and um Good, yeah. Uh 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 Bjorning uh was saying that uh Sam is focused on Frodo. There's a purity here. First he's concerned that um that nobody ignore Frodo's implicit plea for help, though I do not know the way. Um, and that Frodo, you know, he wants Frodo to know, uh, Sam does, that Sam at least is ready to jump into the pickle with Frodo, no questions asked. Um, yes, yes. Um, and even that, even the we and the addressing of Mr. Frodo at the end of that last statement also sort of shows that solidarity, right? I mean, if, if he's conveying nothing else with that sentence... He is at least conveying, see, we're in this together, Mr. Frodo, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, that's a really great point. Thank you, Cook, for drawing my attention to that. There were a couple of comments that I wanted to uh, uh, pick up on from uh, YouTube commenters here as well. Um um, I agree that he is reassuring Frodo, uh, uh, Troa. That's right. And Rachel was saying that um, uh, Sam is the human who just stepped into fairy. Almost like that, right? The, the kind of, um, or at least I'm sh- I don't doubt he feels that way, right? Um, and, uh, and what do you expect, right? What do you expect when um, you're the human who shows up to fairy, right? Uh, you expect it to vanish, 
right? Or you to be <laughs> pickled or whatever uh, thing is going to happen to you. Some pretty horrible things happen to humans who uh, stumble into fairy. Um, um, but um, but yeah, it, it, certainly that is the experience that he feels himself to be having, I think. You know, no question. Especially given that this is Sam, right? This is Sam Elvser Gamgee, right? Um, and uh, and here he is, right? Here he is in Rivendell um, uh, being, you know, quietly, kindly, um, uh, teasingly anointed by Elrond as, you know, companion of the Ringbearer. Um, and... Um, yeah, yeah, I, he's, um, and he doesn't accept, he still feels a stranger, right? He doesn't feel, um, Sam does not feel like the main hero of the story at this moment, right? Um, they've landed themselves in a nice pickle, right? Which, again, shows his humility, right? And, uh, again, if Elrond needed any more, um, uh, any more evidence, right, that he had done right or chosen rightly. Um, you know, his uh, his statement, his blushes and his statement uh, should definitely show this. This guy, I mean, come on. This guy is uh, the best spare ring bearer they could possibly find <laughs> to send on this trip. Um, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. Um I agree. Yeah, and Matt, you're right. Um his position is interesting. Everyone is elevated. Um um especially Aragorn like you know you know Aragorn has been revealed, right? That he's, you know, Strider this um uh rascal, right? That they met um that Frodo thought was going to try to extort money out of them, whom Sam never liked the look of, um, has now been revealed as the, you know, the heir of Elendil for crying out loud. Right. Um, uh, the, you know, the wielder of the, of, of the sword of, of, of Elendil, the faithful. I mean, man, it's a big deal. Right. Um, and you know, everybody at the table, hugely important, right? Everybody, everybody in the council and, um, except maybe Bilbo and Frodo, except not to Sam, right. To Sam, Sam's going to have, Mr. Bilbo and Mr. Frodo, like to him, that's going to make perfect sense, right? That they're there with the great ones, um, discussing all these things. And for, um, uh, I agree that Sam is also elevated, um, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't see it, right? He himself is definitely being, uh, changed. Um, but, um, uh, you know, he doesn't see yet how much he's being changed. He doesn't see yet um, what kind of effect this is going to have on him, right? Um, that it has already been having on him. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Kurtzema. Sam considers Frodo wiser than anyone. Um, yeah, yeah, almost anyone, right? At least, like, you know, there's some people in this room who are probably as wise as Mr. Frodo, right? But, like, you know, outside this room, very little competition, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Bjarne Soner, I also wonder 
how Sam might have handled the moment at the cracks of doom if he was the ring bearer and Frodo was dead. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Tolkien suggests that nobody would have done better than Frodo. Um, so I have to believe that he's right. Uh, but I agree. It's a little bit hard not to sort of think maybe Sam could have thrown it in. Maybe. Maybe. It's hard to hard not to suspect that. But But then again... As we will see later on, um, when he believes that Frodo's dead, it has a pretty big impact on him, right? Um, uh, it has a pretty, a pretty big impact on him. And so who knows how that would have changed him uh, when he was standing there at the cracks of doom. Um, but um, anyway, we'll... Uh, We'll talk about that more as we get a little closer to that. Um, I'm sure we'll get there well before 2030, probably. Um, Though that line that I just said is probably going to be one of those things that people who are catching up later on are going to laugh about. Um, But we'll see. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. And with that... We have done. We're finished. We're finished with the Council of Elrond. So let's look at the beginning of the next chapter. It's time for lunch. It's sort of Martha says. All right, let's break out lunch. It is the end of an era, Kukavutin uh, Minor. Absolutely. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Lunchtime for Bilbo. At last, he's waited for lunch. We started discussing the Council of Elrond. Uh, back in, um, oh, I, this is worth, uh, this is worth sharing. I don't know if I can expand this enough. Um, let's see. Hang on. Because this is, this is fun. Okay. All right, hang on a second here. It's a little spontaneous. Here is our updated chart. <laughs> I'm going to make it a little bigger. Okay, there it is. Sessions per chapter in our discussion. <laughs> the, uh, the blue bars are uh, the number of sessions we have spent on each chapter. And the red line indicates number of pages on average per session covered. So there it is. There it is. Okay. So you know what? I have to say there, uh, and I, that's Evil Dr. Cannon, I think, right? Yeah. Thank you, Evil Dr. Cannon. I'd, um, the red line didn't go down as far as I thought it might. It's not exactly stayed flat, but... Um, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, I kind of thought that during many meetings in the Council of Elrond, it might have, it might have dipped even further. We're down to half a page, uh, per session now fully. Um, but you know, that's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Torambar, uh, says, I think we fulfilled Moore's law. The number of sessions per chapter doubles every 18 months. Um, 
Yeah, I, I agree, Fortalis. I think that our progression does appear to be asymptoting to a non-zero number. That's just what I was thinking. That we're we're, we're definitely approaching the asymptote here. We're not we're not going to hit zero. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that this is um, this is good. And yes, it's true. Of course, as this makes just. I mean, so in my defense, the reason that we were so ridiculously fast in Long Expected Party is that the the idea of discussing the Lord of the Rings as we've been discussing it, um, it was not the original plan when I started this discussion. I intended to do like one or two sessions per chapter. That was my plan. It was just a little waltz through the Lord of the Rings that I was uh, that I was planning, um, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, we will, I agree, we will not get above two pages per session ever again. Um, in fact, if we go above one page per session, I'm going to be pretty surprised uh, from here on out. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, that first uh, session was, that first chapter was ridiculous, um, and uh, we probably should go back and uh, discuss it again when we get to the end, but um, yeah, yeah, well, that is... Um, I still am fascinated by that blip in the middle, that ex- that unaccountable acceleration during uh, at the sign of the prancing pony. Um, but um, yeah, anyway, exactly the folly of youth, says Matt. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, and it's also a little hard to believe that um, a knife in the dark. Look at that. We were still just, we we're still doing more. We averaged more than a page a session in a knife in the dark. Um, you know, for all that, uh, the people still tease me about how much time we spent discussing Weathertop. I mean, look at that, man. Uh, but, um, anyway, there we are. So, Excellent. Thank you for thank you for the data uh, there, Evil Doctor Cannon. I was uh, I was I was I was curious to see where we would go here, and now look how close we are to the end of the book. Right and now, it's just the Ringo South Journey in the Dark, Bridge of Khazad Doom, Lothlorien, the Mirror of Galadriel, Farewell the Warrior in the Great River, and the Breaking of the Fellowship. So we should be done in no time at all. Um, do we have so about four more years? Yeah, something like that. Well, again, remember, it's been over a year and a half. Um, uh, it's been over a year and a half since we started the Council of Elrond. So, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. The Mirror of Gladriel will be intense. Uh, no question. No question. Um, but, um, yeah, okay. So, on on we go. On we go. And uh, just, to, so let's just, let's just, so that we can say we did. Let's look at the first paragraph, because it's short. Later that day, the hobbits held a meeting of their own in Bilbo's room. Merry and Pippin were indignant when they heard that Sam had crept into the council and had been chosen as Frodo's companion. It's most unfair, said Pippin. Instead of throwing him out and clapping him in chains, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. All right. Um... The Hobbit's holding a meeting. First of all, later that day, um, you know, we touched on this before, but wow, the fact that the whole Council of Elrond happened before lunch, it might be a late lunch, but the noon bell was just sounding there at the end. Now, it probably started pretty early. Um, uh, It, uh, but I mean, it's the equinox, right? I mean, it's just 
soon after the equinox. Uh, it's October, right? Early October when this is happening. So um, um, even if they started at dawn, that's not so very many hours. I mean, that puts a cap at what? Something like um, uh, something like six hours the council took at maximum, which is which is really interesting. Right. Um, I think that's very plausible. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you, you, the, you know, an unabridged reading of this chapter only takes a couple hours. Uh, and so even if you go back and add in all the things that got cut out, um, which we're told are substantial, like, you know, multiple hours worth of things. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, still kind of um, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that that whole thing only took a few hours and they, there's still time later in, uh, uh, later on in the day, uh, for, as you say, Matt, a council of Bilbo, right? Um, Matt thinks there might be a joke about subcommittee meetings here. Uh, and that is, uh, and that is possible. Um, right. Some people are asking, is the time different in Rivendell like in Lorien? I don't think so. I don't, I mean, uh, well, okay. On the one hand, we are going to get Bilbo's line later about how time doesn't seem to pass here, it just is, right? Um, so, now, I mean, that's a like a subjective description of what it feels like to be living in Rivendell. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything so extreme as the experience that Frodo and Sam both seem to, you know, that both talk about having after they leave Lorien. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I, so I don't think it's, it doesn't seem to be as pronounced as an, uh, as pronounced an effect, but, um, it's um so i don't think it literally slows down time but um yeah i mean it might change to some extent people's experience of being there um but i would think i mean just based on the references that we get it seems that if anything it's a question of um you know, like the refreshment that you get from being there, like, you know, you'll feel as refreshed after three days in the house of Elrond as you would, you know, recuperating for three weeks anywhere else, you know, that, that it would be the kind of time dilation effect I would expect in Rivendell. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Cook of Wooten Minor there is, uh, and as Jesse was pointing out uh, on YouTube, um, there is a difference in the in relation to how humans experience time compared to elves, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the humans themselves would lose track of time like they seem to do, right? Um, they are unaware of the way that time is passing uh, when they're in Lothlorien. Um, and it's... I, I, I don't think we get that same kind of reference there. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. Arna says Bilbo is the only data point we have there, and he retired here. Uh, so yes, he's in retirement, and time moves a little differently for him. Um, also, I would... Um, 
I would also point out that Bilbo's relationship to time is also a bit of a dad, bad data point, given his own life dilation with the ring. The ring is still in existence, so as we talked about before, I do not think that Bilbo looks aged yet. Um, he certainly does not look his actual age, right? He doesn't look, um, oh, what is he, 128? Um, he doesn't look it yet. Um because the ring is still in existence. Uh, however, um, he... Who knows exactly what his subjective experience of time and the feeling of the passing of time is when in his state? I mean, there has not been an intensive study of mortals who possessed a great ring for a long time and then gave it away and what their experience, the subjective experience of the passage of time uh, is going to be. Musical, exactly. The scraping process might have stopped, but he's still been scraped, right? And it's hard to see, hard to know exactly how that would uh, affect him exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Right. And yes, yes, J.J. Bilbo uh, um, couldn't even get the riddle about time. Yes, you're right. You're right. I mean, you know, uh, his luck helped him. But apart from that, um, has there been an intense study, Mike asks, of uh, mortals living out their days in Rivendell? Um, well, Bilbo's not unique in that regard. Right. Um, we know of at least one other mortal. Who lived out her days in Rivendell? Exactly. Arid 84, Aragorn's mom, Gilride, right? Um, is the only other mortal that we are told explicitly you know, lived out her days and died there in Rivendell. Has it happened before? I bet you it has. I can't imagine that Gilride and, and little Estelle were the first and only, you know, uh, Arnorian refugees uh, who um, were sheltered um, in time of trouble in Rivendell. Um, but, um, but yeah, but I agree, Kurtzimus, even Gilrein seems a bad, um, data point, uh, by, by, by her own testimony, um, about, um, keeping no hope for herself. Yeah, exactly. And you're right, Camlos, that the Dunedain themselves also experience time a little bit differently. So I agree. Bad data points all around. Um, and, um, you know, so, so yes, we can't really draw any firm conclusions about that. Um, but, uh, anyhow, um, yeah. All right. But anyway, <laughs> moving on from later that day, um, and onto the hobbits holding a meeting of their own in Bilbo's room. And Matt, back to your point before, I, I love the idea of the Council of Bilbo uh, to follow up the Council of Elrond, um, presumably after lunch has finally been had. Um, uh, the hobbits hold a council. And now, of course, it's one thing that's interesting here, um, which again, I think points to the level of hobbitry involved in Elrond's comment to Sam about um, the secret council. How secret exactly is the council? I mean, relatively secret. Like, they obviously don't want word of what was decided in the council to get back to uh, Mordor, but... <laughs> 
immediately, right, Bilbo and Frodo leave the council and go straight to their friends and tell them all about everything that happened there, as far as we can tell, right? So, um, uh, yeah. Now, Aaron Numenor, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say this uh, as well. Um, Aaron Numenor was asking, does the comment about how Sam crept into the council uh, change our minds about uh, exactly how illicit uh, it was uh, for Sam to attend? Um, and um, I, um. No, it doesn't change my view of it. I think that this is um, Mary and Pippin's point of view. Um, I think that this is... Um, uh, I think that this is a characterization that basically is kind of coming through Mary and Pippin's filter, right? This sentence is stating their point of view. They are indignant, Right, Mary and Pippin were indignant, and it's explaining the premise of their indignation. Right, um, that Sam had crept into the council. Um, they would have wanted to come into the council too, and if they had been coming in, they'd have been creeping. Right, um, no two ways about that. Right, Sam. You know, whether or not Sam would officially be accepted as you know Frodo's. Uh, you know, confidential servant sitting in the corner. I don't know. Um, but, um, but again, I, it seems like they at least are kind of characterizing this as Sam creeping in. But also remember, I think they're jealous. Sam's got skills. Remember, he's their hired uh, investigator. You know, Sam is good at this. Sam is good at not getting noticed and uh, overhearing important things, right? He collected a lot of information before he gets caught, finally, and is put on on, on parole, right? Remember? Um, I think that there's um, a little bit of respect in their indignation. <clears throat> of course, Sam managed to creep in, right? Um, he, exactly. He's a professional eavesdropper, Sam is, right? I mean, this is... This is this was his job. This was literally his job that they hired him for. Mary not literally hired. I don't think they actually paid him, right? But Mary and Pippin secured Sam's services, right, as a spy. And now here they 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 um um I, again do I think that they're actually indignant? You know, they're they're upset and angry at Sam. No, no. I think that this is uh, they're sort of teasing, but they are indignant at being left out. Right, um, that they didn't get uh, the same opportunity. I agree, Tiber. Sam would make a good burglar. He absolutely would. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rachel on YouTube was thinking the same thing. Exactly. It was. It was uh, maybe a bit burglarious uh, of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and had been chosen as Frodo's companion. I mean, look at that. It's most unfair. right? And now, Pippin here is clearly teasing Sam, I think. I, I get, this, is, this is hobbitry, one hobbit to another, right? Instead of throwing him out and clapping him in chains, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. Um, yeah, 
clearly, <laughs> again, Pippin is uh, is is Pippin suggesting right that had he been, had he managed to creep in, that he expects that he might have gotten thrown out at the least or clapped in chains at the worst, right? Um, and his tossing off this comment right about Sam's being sent along on the quest to Mordor as a reward is typical of hobbits making light of something, you know, they don't know, uh, they don't know what to say on serious occasions like this, right? When I could, um, clearly the best thing to do is to laugh about this whole thing, right? Um, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. Now, we'll talk about the way in which this is a reward, right? As I believe this is a joke that Pippin is making. But I... But Mary, of course, who is a little bit less flippant um, than Pippin. Not less teasing, but a little bit less flippant than Pippin. Um is going to turn that around into a serious comment, of course, as we're going to see. Um, but um, much more to talk about on this slide, but let's let's pace ourselves, folks. Right? If we, we can't just lose control, right, and go straight all the way through, you know, uh, the ring goes south in one sitting. Let's, let's, um, let's take this a little more easy, right? So um, we'll stop here and we'll continue uh, with uh, this... Uh, lovely hobbitry exchange next time. Um, but because you're, yeah, Aronos, exactly. We can't rush these things. Um, so I just, I, I want, by, by the way, one announcement I wanted to make, I forgot to make it at the beginning, so I might as well make it at the end. Um, so as you guys know, I've been uh, fighting a, a vain and useless fight against uh, entropy and the current schedules of my family and my attempts to continue uh, uh, having this class at 9.30. Um, I, I'm giving up officially. Um, let's say an official start time of 10, uh, and I'm going to try to be as close to that as I can. That should be more manageable. Um, I, I've I've uh, reached a point where it's pretty clear that the 9.30 thing is just not working out with my family schedule. There's been too much to do. Uh, but um, anyway... We're, um, um, we're just, just again, it's not going to make a serious change. It's not going to make a change to our start, our, our ending time, really, because how many days have I actually started before 10 p.m. in the last six months? Like, seriously. Um, but um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, that's um, exactly. Bricktail says, to be honest, I thought it was 10. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It kind of. It's been unofficially 10 uh, for a while, but uh, I just wanted to make it official, official. Um, but uh, anyway, there there we are. It is hard. I mean, on the one hand, of course, I do, uh, you know, I, I do want to, uh, uh, you know, make sure we get as much time as we can. But at the same time, one of the consequences of the long-term commitment that I have made here, right? I'm committing to spend my Tuesday evenings, every Tuesday evening I possibly can with you with you all uh, talking about this for, let's be frank, most of the rest of my life. Um, but it, it means that, uh, you know, I, I have to uh, be 
receptive when my family has other things happening and there are some times that I'm trying to finish things up and get things started and help with things. It used to be back in the old, old days uh, when I first started broadcasting at 9.30, I was putting small children to bed and that's no longer happening, um, but there are still plenty of other things going on. So anyway, that's, um, that's what, but I still wanted to say, of course, I know you guys um, uh, who are in the Discord channel all kind of uh, get together and chat for a while beforehand anyway. You're still welcome to show up at 9.30 and, and chat for a while together before we start. That'll, that'll, that'll still be fine. Um, but um, anyhow, there we are. Okay, so yes, we will be returning, Mike, to class as usual next week after Mythmoot, so we, will, we won't be missing any one of our Tuesday sessions because of the way that happens to fall in the week. So we'll be, we'll be back next week as usual. Um, I do have a, a family trip um, uh, that's going to happen in the middle of July, but but I'll definitely be here next two weeks, I believe. Next two weeks we'll we'll continue, um, and then I'll, I'll have to miss a week. Um, but um, anyway, so yeah, so next and next week is not just normal for exploring the Lord of the Rings, but it's going to be normal for all of the broadcasts. So um, uh, we'll be back with with all of it. Exploring the Lord of the Rings on Tuesday. Mythgard Academy will be doing the next session of uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Heinlein on Wednesday. Um, Silm Film on Thursday night, um, in which we're going to be discussing our casting uh, decisions for uh, uh, for season five. So that'll be fun. Um, and then, of course, I'll be back finally uh, for my Grifflet stream on Lotro on Friday afternoon. So all of those things will be happening uh, next week after the moot as normal. So thanks everybody. And it's field trip time. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, see if we can see how close we can get to finishing up, uh, the wells of Langflood tonight. Oh yes. We'll see about that. I don't know. I have wells of Langflood and council of Elrond like in one night, right? Like I, that's probably too much to ask. It really is, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not gonna lay odds on it. Yeah, I'm not gonna lay odds on it either. I mean, we didn't even finish. Uh, we didn't even finish uh, Fromsburg. So. Yeah. Uh, also, your comment about the rest of your life has gotten me a little scared. I'm sitting there going, "Does that mean the rest of my life?" <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to feel like your uh, cheerful volunteering here is an absolute life sentence. You know, we can. Uh, uh, All we can I spell know you is I have a, a kindergartner that wasn't born when this was started. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I might have grandchildren by the time we're finished. I should be so Yeah, excited. it's possible. It's possible. Um, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, my kids will probably be in their 30s easily by the time we're done, so... Mercy um, me. Yeah, maybe more at our current rate, especially if that curve continues to decrease. But I do think, I really do think we are reaching a logical limit. You know, I think that uh, one slide, a, one slide a, a, a session is, we're probably not going to get much lower than that, I think. But um, we'll see. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, Amethorn says, did I ever imagine this would become a lifelong project? No. No, I mean, I embrace it because, as I said before, you know, when I kind of made the choice to to shift to this format, you know, I was saying, look, I, you know, this is, um, I'm not going to ever get the chance to do this again. 
you know, like this is going to be, this is going to be the only chance I will ever have in the rest of my life uh, to discuss the Lord of the Rings in this much detail. Right. So this is why, you know, this is why I keep saying in this as well as other contexts, life is too short to go quickly. Right. I mean, if I go quickly, um, you know, then like, I mean, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get time to, to do it again. And so, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> Blanc says, I started listening when I had one kid and now I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's, uh, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of funny before and after pictures when we, uh, when we get to the end. Um, oh my, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, yep. let's, I think what, where are we milestones back to Hlitzeld, right up uh, where oh, the horses oh. live. Yes. All right. Off we go. Off we go. So I've just been, as I mentioned, I think last week, I've been rereading um, Unfinished Tales lately. Um, That's the uh, sort of Tolkien reread I'm doing right now. And I just read the, uh, just finished in the last couple days reading the... uh, uh, the portion on the oath of uh, uh, Errol and uh, Kyrian. Um, and so therefore, like the discussion of the history of this area and the Eothayod and, and how and when they moved, this reminded me of two things. First, of course, we know Eothayod means like the people of the horses, right? So the fact that they have the horse head there on their old ruins totally understandable and absolutely stamps this as like buildings of the Eothiod, which means I think based on the similarities in architecture that we're safe in saying that all of these other stone buildings that we're seeing are also from like the heydays of the Eothiod when they moved up here. But it also suggests to me another question, which is um, one of the things that they did. So when the Eothiod moved up here, right, when the, uh, the, the ancestors of Eor the Young uh, move. They were originally, these were people from Rovanian, essentially, mm. who moved up into this region. And when they moved up here, exactly, was after the fall of Angmar, right? Angmar falls in 1974, 1974, 1975, right? That's when the Witch King is defeated uh, up in the north. Uh, and Angmar falls. When Angmar fell, so if we just for a second go to the map, uh, right? So, um, this map, right? So we've got um, up here is Angmar uh, in the north, right? So you can see right across the mountains up in the Gundabad area here is where, so some of the influence of Angmar sort of spilled over. And I am assuming, sight unseen, I am assuming that when we get to Gundabad, what we will see is evidence of a place which was originally built by the dwarves, but which then fell upon evil times and has been taken over first by the Angmarim way back when, and after that by like the orcs of the Misty Mountains, essentially. Um, Does that's explain the, we see some sort of echoes of Rudaran architecture? Yeah, someplace. exactly. And so, but there were also people like Angmarim peoples, exactly like the Rudarans, as you were saying. Um, who lived up here in this area in the upper reaches of the Vales of Anduin, just on the other side of the mountains from Angmar. But after Angmar fell, it created a little vacuum. 
a, a little power vacuum up here in the northern vales of Anduin, and that's when the Aethiod moved up. That's when this group of people from Ravanian, which was which was already suffering, right, which was already in decline and near its fall, they left it and they came up here into the north, where there was now room because I, the you know the 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 encroachments from Angmar in the north uh, no longer uh, were. Um, you know, causing a problem. And it was exactly in the Bjorning lands and this place, you know, up near the Carrack uh, and north of the Carrack that they were settling. So, yeah. So therefore, one of the things that I was saying that I think I'm interested to look around for to see if we see any evidence of um, is that um, the, do we see any evidence of the Angmarim period? in this mm. area. Or maybe we're still too far south. I wouldn't think so, though. We're pretty far north now in the Wells of yeah. Langflood. But maybe Absolutely. we're still in the southern, you know, maybe, oh, it's only in the outskirts of Gundabad that we would see that. But it leads me to my question, so we can head back down towards Fromsburg. We get, this leads me to wonder, was, like, these ruins, so I was just saying that since we saw that, you know, horse head, um, that yeah. beautifully uh, carved horse head in the um, I did it again took a wrong turn again um, if we um, you know since we saw that that uh, beautifully rendered horse head in the stone if that suggests that that's these buildings are the buildings of the Aotheod from the start or are is there a possibility that this could that these could have been Buildings which were originally made by the uh, the Angmarim folk who lived here, and they were only taken over by the Aotheod when they moved in here. Like those horsehead carvings could have been added later. After all, they're not very um, uh, they're not very. Uh, it's not like it's on the foundation stones or something, right? Or oh, even worked into that the arch. Been assembled later on top of it. It, I mean, like, in fact, those square things, which are the only horsey things in the entire, could easily have been slapped onto the walls, right? Or yeah. even, you know, carved into the walls or something. So um, Banana Man might have been older than the horse head. It's possible. It's possible. Now, let's and see, how far up did we get here? We, we got up about equal to this, didn't we? Yeah, this yeah we, had, we, got? we had to go north. Right. Okay. So we were We were distracted north. by the Avonk. Yeah, exactly. Right. And there's the Avonk being distracted by me, apparently. Um, okay. I love how it's still injuring me, even though I'm out of its range. But, okay, so, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible that... Um, oh, you found an invisible kitty again, that's why. Oh, I see. Right. I better get my uh, protecting cat out here. Um On the one hand, I would expect some some iconography from Angmarim if these were their ruins. Mm -hmm. Possibly the Iron Crown, which we saw in lots of places, or at least the Rudauran crown. Now, you know, maybe it's not the actual people of Rudaur who were over maybe. here. Right. It could have been a completely yes, he did different tend to pick group. on other people, didn't he? Right, exactly. So I, I, it's not that I think that, you know, Whoa. the people of Rudauer were the a, only people. That's a dragon. 
or Drake or something up there. Who is? Where is it? Fierce Mountain it. Drake on top of the tower. Oh, up there. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we're getting... I just thought the bats were really big here. Yeah, now we're achieving some actual dragon status here. So yeah. again, I'm coming back to... Oh, oh right, he's there up on the tower. Yeah, I didn't see him there. Okay, so Wait, we're getting... there's more than one? Oh, great. Yeah, there's one up on the tower and there's one up on the hill up there where there are some more ruins, so I'm kind of headed that way. Um... Let's finish looking like you said, maybe these. the Rudarn stuff got knocked off. Like, it's possible. It's possible. Um, we did. Or again, this, it could have been somebody were pretty unadorned. It's also possible that if this were built by a different sort of Angmarim tribe, right? Not the Rudarans. Now the Rudarans, you might think, were a little bit more focused, right, on their own iconography. Because they were an Arnorian splinter group, right? So they would still have had some, uh, you know, like uh, pretensions. That's why, remember, the symbol that we kept seeing for them all over the place was a crown. Yes. The woodland right. crown of Rudar. And, you know, so if there were some other Hillman group which had been taken over by by Angmar and you know, had been kind of sent over here to begin to expand the Angmarim influence on this side of the mountains and whatever, um, then it's possible that they weren't, you know, they didn't, they weren't always into the kingship thing, right? So they didn't put crowns all over the place um, and might mm. not even have thought much of carving their own, you know, sigils into stone and such embarrassed by the idea, frankly. Right. It's, it's just so gaudy, after all. Um, but, hmm. And, of course, if that were true, if these are Angmarim ruins and the Aotheod merely took them over, that would help to explain, or, because one of the things we were talking about was, like, that there's very little evidence of the Rohirrim building this much in stone. Yeah, exactly. They don't tend to build in stone, but they were up right. here looking for prime real estate opportunities. Right. And this place, this peninsula, I mean, Fromsburg here, um, is just covered in stone ruins. I mean, this is not just, this does not just look like a people, you know, this does not just look like it was built into people who were willing to build in stone, or who will make stone fortresses. This says, is like these are houses. The clue is almost in the name. The clue is almost in the name. Fromsburg, meaning like Berg. Strangerville. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Now it's named after from, and ooh, does that suggest the story? So I kind of want to go where all those drakes are. I have to admit. Uh, you would. Just mostly because there are lots of drakes there. and oh, No, they're coming here now. It's all good. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. That's That solves part of my problem for me. Um, because, like, if there are drakes living here, then maybe there will be evidence of historical dragons. Okay, so theory. Nest over here. Right. Yeah, I was looking at the nests. The nests are looking pretty 
like pretty modern additions though. It's fluorescent. Okay, so just looking around at the ruins. Oh, what is this little? Look at this little. Doorway or a window? Can we get all the way through. No, it's a window. It's not a doorway. I think it's just a, you know, yep. collapse rather than a plan. Yeah, but, all these um, things look like they've sunk into the ground. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, so what I was saying was theory. Here's the theory. So the Angmarim lived here, right? Either after Angmar Falls or before, during the latter stages of Angmar's fall here. Mm-hmm. Skatha the Worm moves in, right? Mm. So maybe Skatha the Worm lives here on this peninsula. Um, maybe he lives here, and he lives here, uh, and like the rest of the Angmarim have moved on or been defeated, but Skatha the Worm is still hanging out here because like no one's telling him to leave, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe he lived here with the Angmarim and they were like allied with him because the Witch King had like a, you know, some kind of reciprocity agreement, right, with Skatha the Worm. And um, so he was allowed to live here and like the Angmarim, uh, you know, sort of served him in fear or whatever. Um, uh, but anyway, whether he lived here contemporaneously with the Angmarim, you know, that he would be here um you know, but anyway, my theory is he lived here, right? Um, yeah. So the Aeothio didn't move into this place right away on account of there being a big dragon living here, right? Skatha. Um, right. But then from the hero comes and slays the dragon. And of course, that this could be the very location of where Skatha's lair w- was is also suggested by those obviously dwarvish ruins up top. Right. Because uh, yeah. Skatha the Worm would, like, they'd have issues, clearly. Skatha the Worm yeah. and the dwarves who are right there. Right. Um, I, you know, so I don't know if there was a, a you know, some kind of full blown uh, Smaug esque situation going on with those dwarves and Skatha the Worm, but clearly there were issues, um, not unlike, you know, the uh, uh, issues that were brewing. Uh, at the end with um, uh, Bard and whatnot, right? You know, to, from Fram being like Bard slaying the dragon and the dwarves wanting, uh, you know, the, all the treasure, but he killed the dragon and whatnot. I mean, we know that there was uh, strife with the dwarves, right, after the death of Skatha. But anyway, so what is more likely than that when um, Fram slays Skatha the Worm up here in this peninsula in the midst of these fortress of this fortress or these ruined halls, the Althiod basically moves in, right? And they're like, okay, hey, like Fromm has slain the dragon, and basically Fromm claims this joint, right? You know, Fromm comes over here and is like, oh yeah, um, I claim this place and I name it Frommsburg. Right, because I have taken uh-huh. it, and he would call it Berg, like Mundberg, because it's a castle, yeah. right? It's because of all the walls, right? Oh yeah. Um. So he names it Fromsberg, and I guess says that he's going to move in. Okay, let's go up on the let's 
up on that hill where the other dragons were. It does make see. me wonder if there's uh, something revealed in the building we went in last time, like if we'd see Fromm's name anywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I've not been seeing. And now it's clear that they are, the Aotheod did at least move in, right? Because um, they, um, because of those horses that we saw, right? Those horse carvings. So even if they didn't make all the buildings, which still would kind of surprise me, you know, if they had made all the buildings, um, mm-hmm. just because they don't build this much in stone from anything that we've seen. I mean, even Edoras doesn't have stone walls, for crying out loud. And they've had yeah. 500 years to build stone walls. It's still not very much time, right? certainly as elves account it, but, but it's plenty of time to, time to throw up some stone walls if they really... Uh, it's almost like so they're inclined. still expecting to pack up and leave at any point. Almost, right? Or at least like that they are certainly not... Re- remember um, Aemir's concern, right? Like Aemir and Theoden are both like they are a people that fight rather on horseback and in the field than behind walls, right? Um mm-hmm. So like they're, they're worried about like, like if they go to a siege in Minas Tirith, they're not going to be much help. Right. Um, because that's not how they operate. So like the, the lack of walls in uh, in Rohan is therefore no surprise because it does not fit their tactics. They don't if somebody were to come and attack Adoras, their plan is not going to be to get behind a bunch of walls and try to endure a siege. Right. Um, yeah. Their plan it's like how people who drive in the church. country drive different than people who drive in the city and <laughs> right. travel in each other's backyards. Right, right. Okay. Well, I'm, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And what I'm looking for is a Skava was here sign. That's why I'm, I'm coming to the places with as many, all the, like, the places with all the dragons I can find to see if there's any evidence that they are, you know, looking around, they're lurking around places where... Scott, one. Oh, that's just a chest. Okay. Um, yeah, if I'm kind of like following the trail of dragons to try to find where dragons might have once Spirits been. Yeah. And I'm not seeing a lair. Um, I don't know. I get the feeling if dragon was going to be anywhere, it'd be up on that hill where the dwarf rooms are. Oh, up there, right. Yeah, and it's true that he might have... That would all depend on if there are dwarves still there. Right. It is possible. I mean, given the exchange between Fromm and the dwarves that we get, um, it is possible that... I mean, obviously there was... there was beef between Skada and the dwarves. I mean, there's no question of that. The question is just whether it was a full Smaug situation. Had Skada moved in to the dwarf um, fortress up there? Mm. Which you'd think he might. It's more attractive than this one down here, certainly. And even if from went up there to the dwarf place and defeated Skava up there, 
he would still have set free this because doubtless this place was under Skatha's influence, right? Mm. Um, and that he, uh, f- that he, Fram, would say, "I, Fram, have liberated these lands from you know the dominion of Skatha the Worm, and so I claim." you know, this place for myself, not that place where he killed the dwarf, it's because that's the dwarves place. Right. And that would obviously be an act of war just as Bard isn't going to try to claim Erebor. Right. Smaug was squatting in Erebor. Um, and he believes himself rightly for all of the reasons that he points out, uh, in the parley to be entitled to a sizable portion of the treasure of Smaug. However, he um, he doesn't try to claim Erebor, you know, oh, he, like in a in a like finders keepers or can, exactly. He's well, not from I mean, Erebor. His, his lineage is, but right. Well, not but not from the mountain itself, from Dale. No, not from the mountain. Yeah, yeah, from exactly. The Dale, and from so Dale. I I could easily imagine from. Um, Slaying the dragon, even if he did slay it, even if Skala were up on the cliffside up there in the dwarf ruins, and he would claim this down here, not that up here, and say, like, this shall be... And then again, like, because here's this convenient human-based location um, that has been also set free from the dominion of uh, of Skala the Worm, um, but is... Um, um, is not um, already claimed yeah, by I mean, the dwarves. Is not. I mean, he was he was rude to the dwarves, but there's. I don't see any reason to believe he's like declaring ready to qu- declare war on the dwarves. No, and and the other thing is, dwarves would know what their rights are and what the humans' rights are, and they keep very good paperwork and they have very good lawyers. And yeah, exactly. I don't think it would come to pass that he could claim that up there at any point. Right. Yeah, I don't think so either. Hmm. Whether there was some sort of uh, battle over it, or whether he guessed ahead of time what the what the general feeling of everything would be, right? I can't say. It. Well, I was hoping for some evidence, but there's still one corner of this place we haven't looked at. So let's see. yeah, let's check out there. Let's go up here to the which I think is might be the highest point. So that's something. Mm. Oh, look at this little ivy-covered little wall here. Hmm. Okay, probably joined up to no decorations, no adornments again. Yeah, very plain. The humble Angmarim who built this, perhaps I don't know. Oh, the people who were enslaved by the Angmarim. We've seen lots of evidence of that. That's true. That's true. keep wanting to think that there's something on the keystone of that arch, but I just don't think there is. No, I think it's just, it's just weather-worn. Yeah. Whoa, big bat. Oh, that is a big bat. I'm glad the moose are, are normal size, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Whoa. Who's that? Ooh, oh, it's a, it's a named worm, is it? Yes, Otgand. Huh. Ugly thing. Yeah, he didn't look... He looked like he was having trouble molting. 
like some yeah, of my sure friends' did. lizards when they can't shed properly. Yeah, it's in a really awkward stage there. We call yes. it a bad day. Angry. Bad, they get really angry when they day. can't shed, when they can't yeah. mold properly. Yeah, it's got to be annoying. Yeah, well, I just... I'm not seeing... I'm exploring Ooh. up here in the last desperate hope of finding a cave in the cliffside. But I'm just... I'm losing hope. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well... Oh, look at this nice... Huh. Hang on a second. Let me turn around again here. This little colonnade here that I'm in, or like this row of arches, this road with this row of arches, one of the grandest mm. things. Where does it go? See, I'd like to think that it leads. Wouldn't it be cool if it led to, like, a cave which was the home of Scott of the Worm? That'd be awesome. But no evidence. Yeah. No, but it's a rather it's a rather well housed city that surrounded the castle, the the sort of big lee on the top mm -hmm. of the hill. Mm -hmm. It really, it it's almost like a it's almost like a city with like lots of bridges and walls and buildings and outbuildings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly seems more advanced than anything we have. Okay, I think whelpling is my word of the day. I like fierce whelpling. I have children who are fierce whelplings. Yeah, all right. I can believe that. Oh, and then we're the back, back into Drake, Drake country. Again, same place. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, I don't think we need to kill them all again. I think we've uh, pretty much been here. Well, no evidence of a lair for Skada. So there goes that story, which I quite liked. And which yeah. I still think might be generally right. I mean, from... I mean, like, the sequence is almost inescapable, right? I mean, like, from must have first killed Skatha the Worm, and then named Frumsburg after himself, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it has to have happened that way. It can't have happened any other way. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. Mm. And therefore, the the uh, lair of Scott of the Worm must have been close to this. Yeah, Somewhere, I'd say so. Must have been. All right. Uh, well, well, we will continue our exploration next time. We didn't, of course, finish the Wells of Langford. I forgot we still have L L Lindelby to go out to. I was forgetting yeah. the last undiscovered part of the Wells of Langford. So next time we will head down to Lindelby. Um, but yeah, I am convinced that Fromsburg, this whole Fromsburg Peninsula, was really um, this was a this was a, a city. Uh, I think perhaps even larger than I would have expected the uh, the Aothiod to have, even apart from the fact that it is premised on architecture I would not have expected them to feature. Uh -huh. But um, we'll see if we find any further evidence as we move forward. But next time we'll head up towards Lindelby, see what we can do. I've heard some of it is instance hidden, so we might not be able to quest dependent, so we might not be able to get in uh, to all of it. 
but we'll see what we can see, uh, draw what conclusions we can draw, and then and then we'll see. We're getting closer to needing to head down to Eregion, but yeah. not quite yet. We might have time to come up and do the Elder Slate before we do that, because this doesn't look like a huge area. So, and Wormsgraf sounds like fun, right? So let's. Uh, but I don't think we can go there. It's not a place yet, is it? Maybe it is. Mm. Yeah, it is. Mm. Anyway, so we'll see. Um, we will. Uh, we will head up there. All right. Next time. All right. Time. Very good. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you guys for your very active protection as uh, enabling me to just, you know, focus on the important work of Archeo gaming that we're doing here. Um, uh, you know, instead of uh, actually participating in any combat. So uh, that was very, very helpful. Appreciate that. Um, uh, so thanks everyone. And we shall, um, we shall see you again next week. As, and then we'll see what we can see up in Lindleby Way next time. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Good night, and see you next week. And don't forget, Myth Mode is in two days. Still time to sign up. Looking forward to seeing folks. Uh, Valori's yep. going to be running the rumor requirement, uh, which is oh, great. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. Uh, so thanks, everyone, and good night. Bye now. Night. See you next week. <laughs>